This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Min Dariwal. And welcome to The Loop. Well, we kind of knew this was coming. As of midnight on Wednesday, the provinces entered a public state of emergency. New measures came into effect both Thursday morning and more will come on Monday, September 20th. But, I mean, I, I feel like this wasn't surprising. Yeah. No, I, I think we a lot of people anticipated it was coming. We just never yeah. knew when it yeah. was going to come, right? Exactly. You're just hanging on and hanging on. And then yesterday yeah. it dropped. Things were getting bad enough that, you know, I mean, I, mean, I know <laughs> even though we knew it was coming and I yeah. watched the presser when the emergency alert went off on my phone yes. Wednesday, scared the heck out of me. Yeah. Um, but let's kind of run through what's happening because we're back at December of 2020 in a lot right. of ways. So for those who are unvaccinated, there are no indoor private social gatherings permitted. And there are limits on private gatherings too, even if you are vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's exactly it. And limited to two households, up to 10 people or those who live alone can have two non-household social contacts. You might need to look at that to try and <laughs> yeah. like actually have it absorbed Understand, in your head, yeah. right? Uh, weddings, funerals, retail, indoor sport and entertainment venues are all facing restrictions, places of worship as well, and those are limited to one-third of fire code capacity. There is a new plan for proof of vaccination, what the province is calling a restrictions exemption program. Uh, not a passport. Nope, but, not a passport. But it's a restrictions exemption program. And that program will come into play Monday for restaurants who can choose to close or to participate. Yeah. And there's still no mandatory vaccination requirement, of course. But those right. who choose not to get vaccinated will have to, as part of this rep program. Um, they'll have to show a recent negative test result to go to bars, indoor organized events, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. We're also in a mandatory work from home order now. So unless an employer determines physical presence is required, most people are being right. asked to stay home. Uh, and schools will require mandatory masking for students grade four and up, plus staff and teachers in all grades. Yep. And on Monday, along with the restrictions exemption program, restaurants are limited to outdoor dining only if they're choosing not to participate in a proof of vaccination. Maximum six people per table and liquor sales will end at 10 o'clock. It does feel like deja vu a little. Yeah. And I mean, I know for me, it sparked a whole lot of conversations within my household of one. Right. Um, but Min, uh, like, how about you? How do you think you'll be reacting? You'll be changing? We're both fully vaccinated. Yes. And so uh, to a certain extent, I feel as though a lot of these restrictions won't really have a huge impact on me. But yeah. uh, uh, but I don't know about you, uh, Claire. You know, yesterday, listening to the premiere and just you know i probably should have stayed off twitter uh but it's just like i'm just burnt yeah by the oh, whole thing it's been right? relentless right and we're at this point where we knew this was coming but yep. it doesn't make it easier no it doesn't and and it's i, I feel like we're the laughing stock a little bit uh, in the country right now you know i've had friends text me right away i mean other people were watching this and they're, they're just like what what's happening where you're you're living right now like what's happening there yeah anytime that my family in toronto is actually paying attention to alberta right. and they text me without me telling them what's going on first i'm always like oh <laughs> but i think a lot of people uh, even who are outside of alberta are kind of like well let them figure it out now it's like, well it's, we're an interesting case study we're doing yeah. things very differently and not better yeah. than many other provinces and we're making some interesting choices yeah i've seen some people uh, you know put public comments out saying they sympathize with what the people are going through in mm-hmm. alberta i mean i sympathize with the people who don't have family members or friends anymore you mm. know I, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. 
and I don't even want to think yeah. of what that feels like, but there are so many people like that in this province who are living that reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's been a week. It's been another week. Yeah. But all of these restrictions, a public state of emergency, that terrifying emergency alert sound. Mm-hmm. And then there was this. I know that we had all hoped this summer that uh, we could put COVID behind us once and for all. Uh, that was certainly my hope. And I said so very clearly. Based on our analysis of other jurisdictions around the world with similar rates of vaccination, we believed that we could prudently move away from addressing COVID as a pandemic and towards an endemic. It is now clear that we were wrong. And for that, I apologize. I feel very responsible for the narrative that has um, made it more complicated to try to put additional public health measures in place because um, Whether or not it was my intention, what was heard at the end of July was COVID's over, we can walk away and ignore it. Uh, And that has had repercussions. And and I I deeply regret um, how that has played out. That was Premier Jason Kenney and Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Dina Hinshaw apologizing, sort of. This week, the COVID-19 situation in Alberta reached a breaking point. We're recording this Thursday, the morning after the big announcement. And to break down the current situation in the province, CBC reporter Hannah Koss joins us now. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Claire. How's it going? It's going all right. Uh, you know, this week was interesting. Um, <laughs> what, did you, what did you think watching the presser and hearing all the new restrictions come into play? Well, we heard a long list of changes, and it seemed like many people were commenting on how long it kind of took Shandro to get through all of the nuances of this latest phase. Um, But the big news is the proof of vaccination or negative COVID-19 test requirements and what the government is calling the um, vaccine exemption program. Now, it is a proof of vaccination program, um, but the government is not using the same vaccine passport terminology that we're hearing from other places. Uh, basically, it's it seems to work the same, um, but as of September 20th, all restaurants will either have to opt in to the restriction exemption program or close to indoor dining. Um, this proof of vaccination will also apply to other businesses and social gatherings, but it will only come into play on the 20th as the government rolls out actual cards and fixes some issues on the My Health Records site, which currently has really long wait times. The province announced kind of a, a three-pronged approach to the fourth wave, maximizing healthcare capacity, um, reducing transmission by reducing interaction, and getting as many as people possible vaccinated. Yeah, but like maximizing healthcare capacity is a big one because we've been hearing all week or even for a couple weeks now about the stress on the healthcare system. Um, from where we're sitting now, what does that actually look like? Well, without intervention, Kenny said last night that hospitals in the province may run out of staff and intensive care beds within the next 10 days. The province has more active cases than anywhere else in Canada. And by contrast, Ontario has a population more than three times ours, but we have more than twice the amount of people in hospital. The province also announced yesterday that they are looking outside of Alberta for additional ICU beds and staff. And Verna Yu, the CEO of AHS, said they had a few options left on the table. This feels like a, a huge 180, right? I mean, we all remember the province of the best summer ever. Um, d- did they address that at all this week? Well, the government admitted trying to jump from pandemic to endemic was too quick. 
Um, they said it seemed like the right thing to do based on the data that they were using. But Kenny said last night it was clear that they were wrong and he apologized. But then later on, he seemed to kind of walk that back, saying he didn't apologize for the decision to relax public health restrictions in the summer. Um, and responding to journalists, he was adamant that the data they saw early in the summer did not predict a fourth wave. I mean, so as we heard off the top, this week has been kind of full of weird apologies. Monday, Dr. Hinshaw told primary care network physicians that she deeply regrets her part in contributing to this narrative that COVID's over. But what did she have to say Wednesday night? Some of the same. Uh, she expressed regret. She was asked by reporters if she was going to resign and Premier Kenny came to her defense. Um, but Hinshaw also directly said last night that in early August, they began to see evidence that cases and hospitalizations were not decoupling as they had predicted. And that means for about a month and a half, um, they began to realize their plan wasn't working. And we are just now seeing stricter action being taken by the government. And so it seems like there are lots of questions about when she presented information and suggestions to the premier's office and when those were actually implemented. And those went unanswered last night. Were there any other moments from this week's big presser and big announcements that stood out to you? Well, something from both the Hinshaw video and the conference last night that I think has generated a lot of conversation is this repeated assertion that the fourth wave caught the government by surprise. Um, Hinshaw told doctors in the Monday Zoom meeting that, quote, Delta caught a lot of us unawares, but it certainly did not seem to catch many other health experts in the province unaware. Um, they raised the alarm about a fourth wave on social media and in the media for weeks after Open for Summer was announced. And those experts and the journalists who reported what they said were kind of dismissed by some people in government who said in June that the pandemic was ending and that people were spreading fear. And now it's come to pass. So I think at this point, the questions that seem to be on a lot of Albertans' minds are, you know, if so many health experts in the province saw this coming, why didn't the experts in our government? And how difficult is it going to be to get people to understand how serious this is now after hearing it was ending before? Well, in a matter of days, Canada votes for a new federal leader. Already, though, there have been close to six million ballots cast in advance polls. So the lineup on Monday might not take as long as you think. Mm -hmm. In Alberta, federal elections usually end up in a wave of blue. 33 out of the 34 most recent MPs from the province are conservatives, with the lone NDP candidate, Heather McPherson, coming from Edmonton. But will that be the case this time? To find out more... Mr. Min Dariwal has been taking a closer yeah. look at election 2021. So, Min, what did you find? Yeah, federal election 101, Claire. And <laughs> uh, it is in full swing. And it's, uh, you know, and, and it's certainly not hard to notice all the signage out there. Oh, yeah. I know one day I just found myself looking at, uh, you know, municipal election yeah. signs followed by, you know, federal election signs, someone running for mayor, someone yeah. running for the liberals, someone running for the conservatives. Colorful lawns. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, if you're a passenger in a vehicle or on a bus, it, it's, pretty entertaining. But, you know, and we're also in the midst of this pandemic still. Uh, lots of questions about this one right now. Uh, you know, was it the right time to call an election? Um, was this self-serving on behalf of the Liberal government? Uh, you know, are people focused on the election with all the baggage that's come with this pandemic? I mean, people are going through real life issues right now. And is uh, an election something that's going to be high on their priority list? So uh, here's some of the random comments we got some from some people earlier this week. Uh, we were just at a parking lot outside of a mall on the north side. 
Well, I think they're just giving money away like crazy and we're gonna end up paying for it at the end after. They got nothing to offer me. Yeah. So what about voting? Are you... Uh, I'm not gonna vote. Have you ever done that before or is this... Voting, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not voting. No, no, I always vote. But this one here, with COVID and everything, I don't even wanna be... You know, they should have the votes outside instead of inside buildings. I, I guess so, yeah. Uh, like for myself, because the election days I'm in uh, Edmonton, I already requested the mail-in ballot. So I already done my uh, share. <laughs> You've done your vote? Yeah, yeah. What's your take, Brian, on uh, what you've been seeing? What do you think is going to happen next week? I don't think uh, Trudeau's going to get in. I think everybody doesn't want him in. I don't know if they will, can solve the problem about what we're facing right now. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, a lot of uh, not sure about that. And, uh, you know, that, that first person that we talked to yeah. saying that he didn't want, he wasn't going to vote and he's always voted. I mean, I, I was I was surprised to hear that, right? Yeah, some people clearly into it, um, many not into it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both sides, but it yeah. also hasn't been a long campaign. And it feels like as we got into September, things actually ramped up, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this election was called on August 15th. And I think uh, part of that is, you know, you're in the summer mode still. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you head towards the end of October, or at least the end of August, um, that changes. And so we've been in this uh, campaign for about almost five weeks. And uh, since then, if you've been following along, we've seen the main leaders of the parties traveling from one side of the country to the other. And yeah. uh, most of it has been pretty civil. I would say that's been the case for most of the leaders. Uh, but for Trudeau, there have been some really ugly moments, I would say. People uh, hurling insults at him, hurling stuff at him, uh, you know, him hurling stuff back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been wild, it's Claire, to ways. see some of that. So uh, I, I caught up with Zane Velji, who is a, a political strategist in Calgary, uh, on where people's heads uh, might be at this election. I think there's many people dealing with many things. There's so many, um, you know, converging factors heading into this election from a pandemic to burnout to back to school to not being interested or engaged in, 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 the, in the race to being turned off by the level of rhetoric and vitriol. There's so many reasons not to engage. And I think what we are seeing is certainly a cohort of people that are rejecting this election's premise. I think many of them will come around to it, especially if it's framed as a choice between a couple of leaders versus a referendum on Justin Trudeau. That's explicitly what the liberals are trying to make this final week, that if this is a referendum against Trudeau, they probably lose. But if this is a choice between the conservatives and the liberals, they have a much better chance of winning an election that has that sort of phrasing or phraseology. I mean, we talked about it off the top, right? Mm-hmm. Alberta's huge backing of the conservative government. We're, uh, I think we're, it's fair to say blue. Yes. <laughs> pretty, pretty darn blue as a province. Aaron yeah. O'Toole has come through here on his campaign trail. Can he convince Canadians this time and actually take over Ottawa? Well, you know what? I, I certainly think um, from the time that Aaron O'Toole was named that conservative leader to, you know, now three days before the final day of the election, he has come a huge way. I mean, just this week, he received a very, very public show of support from former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. And uh, you know what? That was in Quebec. Uh, Brian Mulroney has a big presence in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a big endorsement for him. Uh, it also came on the heels of Trudeau getting public support from former Liberal PM Jean Chrétien as well. So uh, definitely everyone is pulling out all the stops. Uh, But I think if you've been following the polls since the campaign started, O'Toole was lagging behind Trudeau. And I think that people were left wondering, you know, if he could close that gap at all. Well, 
I think yeah. he answered that bell and then some. I mean, they are neck and neck. Uh, and this, I think, will go down to the wire. Uh, one of the latest CBC News polls has both parties at around 31%. So liberals and, and conservatives, uh, one and two. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is next with 21%. The Bloc Québécois with Yves-François Blanchet and the People's uh, Party with Maxime Bernier next at 6%, which is... That's big, too, for the PPC. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't think anybody expected that. Definitely and not. then, of course, the Greens with Anna Mae Paul at just over 3%. Here is more from Zane Belgi on the race and who's got the edge. For the most part, we've had one predominant narrative, which is um, Aaron O'Toole, a conservative leader that uh, prior to the election call, many thought was not viable to win, now finds himself in a position to, um, to fundamentally... Uh, really secure uh, a, a form of government should his momentum continue uh, with that minority or, or majority, which also seems a little bit out of reach for him. So the big storyline that I'm looking at is, is the O'Toole bump. Is it a sugar high? Uh, was it real when it started? And can he continue it going forward? So, I mean, is it going to be a slam dunk, right? Are yeah. we going to see the Conservatives sweep the city this time around? Well, I mean, I think that's the big question. And yeah. uh, one, there's, a, there's a couple of different ridings for sure, Claire, that people will have their eyes on. Mill Woods being one of them, where incumbent Tim Upple will be seeking his second straight uh, victory. He'll uh, be facing uh, former longtime councillor Ben Henderson, right? And, uh, of course, he faced Amarjeet Sohi before that. Uh, ben Henderson is running for the Liberals in that riding. He'll be seeking his first election uh, win federally, trying to make the jump to Ottawa. Here's uh, Grant McEwen, political scientist, Chaldeen's Mensa, on what he thinks we'll see in that riding, which, along with Edmonton Centre, he considers them both swing ridings. In this instance here, we have an incumbent, Tim Oppel, uh, he, last time he faced a very tough battle with Amaji Suhi, who is now running for mayor. Uh, now Ben Henderson is, is being put in that position. He has huge name recognition. I think he will put up a fight. Uh, the, the problem for Ben Henderson again in, in that particular writing, I believe is the NDP candidate. I think you're going to find potential for a split of the progressive vote and that could really hurt uh, ben Henderson. So if for, for Ben Henderson to overcome this hindrance, uh, there has to be a lot of strategic voting that goes on among the progressive voters in that riding to be able to pull it off. And I think a split of the vote is going to be um, mm-hmm. is going to be something we'll see right across the country in, in a number of different ridings, right? And that'll be the difference maker, Absolutely. in my opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting, the writings in the city and how things have shifted yes. this time around and just with new faces, but mm-hmm. an older face, yes, perhaps. Um, how about Maxime Bernier? Wow. Um, he's had a lot of people showing up to his rallies. Yeah. He, he has tweeted a lot about Alberta. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact could the PPC have here? Well, I mean, I think Maxime Bernier is this wild card that uh, nobody... Th- thought really, you know, was going to kind of get out of the gates uh, wow. with a, with any kind of momentum. But he, he's like, you know, maybe a uh, a small J juggernaut right now, right? <laughs> with the support that he's managed to small J, yes. garner. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is very much a right wing party. And according to the uh, CBC poll tracker, uh, they have the fourth highest share of the vote uh, heading into the 20th. So um, I don't think people saw that coming. And uh, last weekend, Bernie launched a three-day tour of Alberta. Hundreds of people showed up right here in our city at Borden Park to hear him speak. Uh, you know, Bernier rallied against vaccine mandates and COVID-19 restrictions. Um, by the way, he's made it public that he has not vaccinated and he doesn't mask when he, he goes to any of these events. 
Yeah, he's certainly taken advantage of looser health uh, guidelines in our province. Um, he had a maskless meet and greet at uh, a church in Spruce Grove last weekend. Right. And, um, you know, he uses catchphrases like respect for freedom and choice, as well as you can vote for the PPC or you can vote for tyranny. Who? So, uh, black and white. yeah, some people, some people uh, have jumped on that, right? So, you know, if you hear him speak, you'll, you'll hear him talk about balanced budgets and immigration and climate change. But what seems to have galvanized his support really is everything that has to do with COVID. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is where the anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-COVID restrictions crowd appears to have gone. Uh, here's more from Zane. Every party is running a 365 24-7 political operation. And if you are a PPC or a fringe party in this country, yes, electoral success and playing spoiler against the Conservatives delivers like some sweet fruit for you and, and it's useful and it's a triangulation point. But this will continue. The fact that they've got heat and light through the pressure cooker of this election, that because this election was called and they surged, they're going to continue this sort of behavior, unfortunately, because it's advantageous to them to fundraise, to build support, to be a pain in the side. And should they in some way find a seat or two in Parliament, they will have even more justification to keep going. I love the idea of the election as a pressure cooker. That feels very on the nose. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, on some days it certainly has felt like that. And I think Maxime Bernier could certainly have a dent on Aaron O'Toole's ambitions as far as getting a majority or getting uh, maximizing um, Mm -hmm. seats because he could pull away some of those voters. Yeah, the very intense conservative base, right? But what are some of the other ridings to look out for? I mean, I know there's one on the north side here that looks like a pretty interesting race right now. Yeah, there uh, there certainly is, Claire. I mean, especially with Edmonton Griesbaugh, and that's where incumbent Kerry Diot initially won in 2015. He won in 2019 with a just over 50% of the vote. Uh, but this time around, if you live in that riding, you'll notice a, a number of signs. At least I did when I drove through uh, mm-hmm. just along 137th Ave there. A newcomer and NDP candidate, Blake Desjardins. Many think that he's he's made a dent and can give Diot a run for his money. I think it'll be tough, and it depends on how many votes uh, he can get away from the liberal candidate as well in that riding. And there's also been a change to uh, just, uh, you know, some of the boundaries of that riding. Uh, here's more from uh, Chaldeen's Mensa. This time is going to be a big contest between the uh, conservative uh, Kerry Diot and the challenger in that riding is going to be the NDP candidate, Blake Desjardins. And the reason for that is that that particular riding has been redrawn. Uh, part of it used to be Edmonton East, which the NDP has won in the past. If you go back into the late 80s, uh, they, used to, they used to have a, an MP there called Ross Harvey. So he's, they've won that riding, that part of Edmonton before. So this redrawn riding has elements, has parts of the Edmonton East in it. Um, uh, again, the thing to watch out for, and I think the NDP candidate is going to be very competitive there, the thing to watch out for is that split of the progressive vote. Yeah, that split of the progressive vote, there there it is again, right? We yeah. hear that. But I think in this writing, for sure, the different uh, boundaries that uh, encompass, encompass Edmonton East uh, could could have a, a big impact on, on who wins this. All depends on uh, if that support for the NDP is still there in Edmonton East yeah. and if people come out. I mean, I guess we're just going to see what happens Monday, right? Yes, Monday. And maybe it might take a few days after that <laughs> until we find get the, get the final tally. This is next week's problem. Yes.
It's fair to say the internet has not been the happiest place lately, but this week, a story of love and hope from right here in Edmonton kind of took over. Yeah. Min, how would you describe Julie Rohr? Well, I mean, she is certainly a woman uh, with humility, Mm -hmm. with so much, you know, courage, grace, and to to be public about what she, you know, is going through. Yeah, Um, because she was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Has been sharing her battle very publicly. Right. Um, and invited a lot of people into what is a super hard time for herself and her family and her community. I'm not sure how, how she was able to do that. I mean, you know, going through uh, a battle against cancer, I mean, energy-wise and just with so much emotion already. Absolutely. Um, for her to share it, I think, uh, has been a special moment for many people who tuned in. Yeah, and it speaks a lot to who Julie is. And yeah. this week, Julie passed away. Um, but not before her friends and community sent her as much love as they could. Mm-hmm. All, of course, via the internet. Um, yeah. The hashtag we love Julie Roar went wild. And Min, Absolutely. I know it was all over my timeline. How about yours? Yeah, it felt like daily I was seeing someone from Schitt's Creek or, yeah. you know, some Hollywood star or sporting icon, uh, you know, giving sending her messages of love and support and the messages the ones i saw they just seem so genuine and full of love so yeah um it's great to know that 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 those messages got to her and got into her heart yeah i mean we're talking rick mercer eugene levy connor yeah. mcdavid there was a private concert from chantal kreviat yes. right many of julie's favorite actors singers and celebrities all sent her these wishes of strength and thanks to social media the world was able to give a little bit of love to someone that's given the city a whole lot Julie, Dan Levy here. On behalf of the cast and crew of Schitt's Creek, we are so glad that you loved our show. We're so glad that it has brought you joy. And we are all, each and every one of us, sending you so much love right now. Hi, Julie. It's Karen Robinson. And girl, I hear you love our show. So I just wanted to send all of that love right back at you and just keep it going in a loop. What I keep picking up all over Twitter is that you you are you are it. When God made you, she did okay. She she did better than okay. Anyway, um I am holding you and your family in my heart. I am holding space for you in my heart. Well, hey there, Julie, it's Ryan Reynolds. Just wanna send you this little video and let you know that I'm thinking about you. Um, I heard uh, a little bit about your story and uh, um, one of the things that struck me about your story is that you uh, you you are beloved uh, by so many people. Um, enough people that that, uh, that message got all the way to me out here in Boston. Um, anyway, I wanna send lots of love. I know you've been going through it. Um, Stay strong. Hope I get to meet you in person one of these days. Hey, Julie, it's Brittle Star here. I had to check to make sure you followed me, not for my own ego's sake, but just so that you knew who the hell this was. Because I, I, apparently you do follow me, and I appreciate that. So thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, uh, and that is uh, I could have gone before Dan Levy and Ryan Reynolds because I just look, I mean, that's, that's a lot of competition for me. And it looks like I've, it's like, like you took those two people and mashed them. Like I've eaten both of those people and then aged. It's, that's, that's my thing. I have to get over that. That's fine. That's fine. 
Listen, you have a lot of people who love you, and these videos are spreading a lot of joy on the internet, and that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to help spread some happiness and stay awesome. Hi, Julie. Rick Mercer here. I just wanted to take a moment and say hello and wish you well during what I know is a very, very difficult time. Uh, you're clearly a very courageous individual who have a lot of friends who love you very much. I mean, who am I kidding? They must love you a lot. I mean, they love you so much they turn the entire Twitterverse upside down just like that because they love you. I mean... Who does that? I don't know. They're your friends, not mine. You'll have to take that up with them. But I'm glad they did because it does give me this opportunity to tell you that I'm thinking about you like I know so many other people are. And I wish you only all the best. Be strong. If you want to know more about Julie, she did a piece with CBC Edmonton in her own words a few years ago. It's called I'm a Mom and Cancer Won't Change That. We're going to link to that in the episode show notes, but her family posted on Twitter on Thursday a goodbye message from Julie herself, and we'd like to end the episode today with her words. Every day is a gift. May yours be full of beauty and wonder. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you, as always, for listening, because there's a lot to know. And you can jump into the loop with us. We come out every Friday. And uh, let us know what you think. Leave us a rating or a review. You can do that wherever you find the show, of course. Um, or if you want to get in touch, there are ways to do that, right, Min? Yes, there certainly are, Claire. Uh, you can get in touch. We have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. Use hashtag theloopcbc on social media, or you can reach out to us via Twitter. I am, of course, at Min Dariwal. And Claire, you are? <laughs> no, I'm going to make you do it. At Nabby Knob. No, Nammy Knob. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm 0 for 2. And of course, uh, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.